Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I'll tell you what I love about living in Hollywood, South Carolina. I, and, and I, yeah, the Hollywood, South Carolina, is that, and I didn't notice it until I got here today, that I have my muck boots on, okay? And that's what we wear in Hollywood, South Carolina, and we wear muck boots. We don't wear galoshes, you know, we, we wear muck boots. And uh, let me just say, if you came to church, well, you did come to church today, you really went against the storm, and that's absolutely awesome that you came out here to honor God today. Last week wasn't really good, the weather, and then this week we have it again, and the creeps rising, and we're keeping an eye on that. It's all excited. But we're people who have decided that we're going to worship God, no matter what the weather what, regardless of the nature of the season, that we really believe that God's transforming our lives and from this little seed into this, I love what he said in the song, the giant sequoia. So just be encouraged today that God's going to do a work in your life. God's got something planted in you that he wants to see grow, and it's going to be absolutely awesome, even if you're wearing muck boots. So if you're new here to Crosstown, we invite you to download our, our app off of any of the app stores, and you can get involved with our Advent season. We're doing readings. We're doing activities. There's actually games for the family concerning Advent. We've seen some of the pictures being posted on Facebook. It's absolutely awesome, and, and you know, people are taking the opportunity to have a good family time. But download that so you can find out more about Crosstown, find out what we're about, get some messages online. You'll also find out that we're canceling church December the t Sunday the 23rd. And I know some of you are kind of like, oh, you know, we, we ran it past the Vatican. We sent the letter over there in Latin. They sent it back that it said as long as we had church on Christmas Eve, it would be legal for us to cancel church on Sunday. So we're not having church on Sunday the 23rd, but we are having it on the 24th. We'll have a 4 o'clock service and we'll have a six o'clock service. And we really encourage you to, to bring a family member. They know they kind of got to go anyway in order to get the presents. So this would be a really good time for you to bamboozle somebody into going to church. Um, that's, I know that's not the official biblical language, but bamboozle, if it works, bring them. And then we guarantee that we'll present the gospel in a, in, a, in a way that won't be offensive, but also creative and celebrating this incredible season. So talking about seasons, we're into Advent, and we're looking at some of the, the uh, motifs, some of the familiar images that are, that are in it, and we learned last week that those images are familiar because God wants to cycle us around every year to begin to, to remember and to think through some of the things that he's done in our lives to kind of show his intentionality. So we're talking about the prophets, talking about Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the angels. And last week we talked about these Old Testament prophets and how we discovered through them the intentionality of God. That for a lot of us, we get caught up in, the, in our own personal history, whether that history is 59 years or, or 18 years. We get up into our own personal history and we begin to see life happening and unfolding around us. And we're wondering if God's moving intentionally in it. We, we try to wonder if whether or not God has a plan for our lives. And as we look at the prophets from the Christmas story, we see this incredible intentionality. We said that when we add the prophecies together, they served as proofs of improbability, uh, proofs of the miraculous, 
that, that these, these prophecies were showing us that God really is asserting himself and that prophecies are the assertions of the divine will in the effects of time, in the, in the effects of mankind. Is that that's what they show us, that God's like, listen, I got this. I know your week wasn't good. I know things are difficult in your marriage. I, I know you're a little concerned about, you know, maybe the government or something going on in your life. But these prophecies show us that God can as, assert his will into our lives and is doing it even without us asking, that he's, he's got a plan for us and that um, his plan is a good plan for us. So the prophets tell me that before there was a starry night, before there were shepherds, before there was Moses in the Red Sea, before there was a Garden of Eden and a, and a snake in the Garden of Eden, before there was the fall of mankind, that the kind intentions of God were towards you and me, that God was thinking about you. Before time, before you thought about him, before you even knew you had a problem, God was thinking about you and was thinking about bringing a restoration to your life and also being very intentional about, I really want you in my life. I desire you in my life. And all these Old Testament prophets uh, were, were communicating the intentionality of God's kindness towards us. But you know, even if with, we have a universal history of intentionality, and we do, whether you look at it from the, the, the origins of the Big Bang or the, uh, the, the structure of DNA and the formation of biological life on planet Earth, you begin to look at that, that there's this incredible intentionality just woven into everything about life as we experience in the universe. But the Christmas story shows something else is needed for the kindness of God to be experienced in our lives. It unpacks other elements of more than just the intentionality of God. The Christmas story is one of receptiveness and response to the intentions of God. That there's this other element that has to be built into the story that makes the story unfold. So we look at the Christmas story in Matthew 1. In verse 18, it starts this way, and I, I love this verse. Because, I mean, sometimes these, these verses are just loaded with stuff. Uh, I mean, like, really good stuff. Well, let me read it to you. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I love this. Because it's not just storytelling. It's not like God was like, all right, I need to make this statement so that I can tell this incredible story. So they'll, they'll know what I'm, I'm talking about. I mean, he could have just told the story. But he, he kind of puts this headliner in the front of the story, and he says the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. This is how it took place. And I don't believe it was just saying, okay, hey, this can be really cool. You're going to like this story. I think what God's laying out is what we would call in the world of science or biology. He's laying out a fractal. A fractal is an object or um, a shape or a set of numbers that becomes a pattern that is universal. Um, we see this in the nautilus shell that you may find at the beach. You'll find this incredible spin in the nautilus shell. But if you also look at the spiral nebula out in the galaxies way, way far beyond, You'll look and you'll notice how it's shaped just like a spiral nebula. Also, the development of a fern that grows in the woods will also produce the same 
spiral nebula type of shape. Well, the interesting thing is that the way that it's shaped and the mathematics and the ratio of that nautilus shell, the fern, and the spiral nebula are exactly the same meaning that there is a fractal or a number system involved that is making these unrelated shapes equal, as if there is some sort of mind that has governed their origin or their shape, and that this pattern is re reproduced over and over again. You find this in leaves. You find it in the head of broccoli, the way that broccoli branches out. The way that it branches out in the little tops of the broccoli, there's a fractal that governs on how much they are. The reason why snowflakes have a particular form, there's a fractal that governs it. Interesting, the fractal for snowflakes also governs the formation of crystals. Interesting, the fractal for formation of crystals also is the same number system used in the formation of lightning and how lightning branches out. There's a number system that's built in all this. So these patterns are repeated in nature, whether they're in small little applications or in these grand universal applications. And when I look at a verse like this, when God tells us, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, this is not just the story of them, this is a fractal about how the life of God is born in people. This is not just applying to this, this young man and this young girl and they're about to have this baby, but what he's going to do is tell the story, but this is not only the story for the, for the nautilus shell, but it is also the story for the spiral nebula. That what is going to happen in the elements that are involved in this story, the way this story occurs is exactly how Christ in us is born in us, how we experience new life. This is a fractal representation. See, so when I, when I, I look at this, I, I don't just look at some cute little story, and it's, it is very, it's really nice, and it's telling, and, um, but I also see that, okay, well, there's something bigger going on here. I mean, wh why would he tell all these elements specific to us? Why are these elements important when there's, I mean, isn't it all about the cross? Why tell this story? Is because, listen, no, this is a fractal on how, how Christ can be born in you, how, how new life happens in you, and, and, and some of the same elements are in play, maybe even on a smaller scale in our personal life. So let's take a look at it and begin to find some of these elements. In Matthew 1.19, the story continues. He says, and when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her away to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I think a principle is going to emerge in this. And, and I believe it's this, that what we are receptive to and how we respond to it determines how far the intentionality of God goes in our life. Now, I, some of you may get a little nervous hearing that because you say, well, you're, are you limiting God? It seems as if God has made some sort of universal agreement with free will souls on planet Earth. In his desire to have intentional relationship with us and for us to experience, there seems to be this agreement where God stands at the door and knocks, but doesn't seem to knock the door down. 
that there's this, this part of the story where God does all this universal work to show his intelligent design in biology and in, in, in cosmology and then in soteriology, which is the story of the cross. He does all this high-tech, technical, fractal stuff, and he puts it all out there, but, and, he, and he lays all this information, he walks up to the door with it, and he stands there with all this information, but he doesn't go past the door. Because part of this story, the way that Jesus is born is the story, is that there's a need for an element of receptiveness and an element of response. Otherwise, the story doesn't go any further. But this is the way the story of God not only goes forward for Mary and Joseph, but this is the way the story of God goes forward for you and me. So if you're here today and you're just like, you know, I hear all this, but it just doesn't do anything. Well, maybe we're going to look at some of the fractal things, some of the, some of the elements that in order for you to experience the intentionality of God that, that maybe need to be part of the story because this is the way that Jesus is born in all of our lives or the way that the life of God happens in all of us. Joseph has a desire for something true. I really think it's interesting how, how he responds to the situation. He not only wants something that's true as he's approaching this this pregnancy that he wasn't planning on with his, his engaged um, love of his life. So he wants something true to happen. He wants something right to happen, but he also wants something kind to happen. So with, I, when I hear that he being a just man sought to put her away, but quietly kind of to, to remove any shame that would bring her into the middle of the town square and have her stoned to death or create some sort of reputation about her, I, I find a, a sense of um, constraint about Joseph, as if he's waiting for more information. He's, he's, he's thinking about his steps. He's not rushing to a conclusion. That even in the midst of the termination of his, his engagement, his um, receptiveness is revealed in his response. So with the discovery of all this, we're told in Matthew 1, verse 20, and don't miss it because it's just a little thing. It said, but as he considered this, these things, that in the middle of everything that was going on in his life, there was this process called consideration. He was thinking about things. Another version says that he was pondering things, that there was in a, a place of consideration. Now, I want you to realize that the Christmas story doesn't force itself upon Joseph. It wasn't like he's some sort of predetermined puppet of fate, and he's going to be the stepfather of, of Jesus, whether he wants to be or not. But in this process of Jesus being born, we are told that, that Joseph is in the place of considering He's got a plan. He's got something he's going to work out. He's got some ideas about what he thinks needs to take place. And he's opened his mind to consider the situation. His mind has not been made up by anger because of the suspected betrayal. I mean, he could have rushed to immediate anger. I don't know about you, but how long does it take you to get angry? How long does it take you to make up your mind about a situation? I mean, really, matter of fact, I always look for enough data in a conflict just to, just to justify my anger. And as long as I get enough of that information, once I get enough of it to be anger, I don't even need the rest of the information. I got my anger, 
I'm ready to go, and, and, and now do I go. How many of us have, have, re, have come to a place where we have rushed to a conclusion about a situation or the condition of our lives, and we are not open to consider anything else? Maybe not even open to consider to forgive someone or to, you know, whatever the consideration may be. But Joseph, even in the middle of this difficulty, where the pattern of, of maybe what his friends are telling me, dude, your girlfriend's pregnant and it wasn't you. You need to put that on Facebook. You need to just let everybody know and you need to get away from that, bro. You need to just get away from that. That is, that is just, that's no good. She done you wrong. You know, so, so regardless of all the other things that are coming in, Joseph's still in the place of consideration. And I think that's a very powerful thing. That when we are in the place of considering what's going on and considering, um, it means he's still receptive. When you no longer consider an idea, all other ideas you're no longer open to. They all fall to the ground. So Joseph is in this place of consideration. He's receptive to maybe another idea. And here comes the other idea. We're told in Matthew 1.20, but as he considered these things, as he was in a place of consideration, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, when you are willing to consider something beyond your own solutions, you are ready for the solutions of God. When you are ready to consider something beyond your own solutions, you are ready for the solution of God. But how quickly we are to make up our minds on how we will handle our own solutions. And so Joseph was willing to consider something else other than the pattern of how things usually get solved. I'm a guy who rushes to fix things. I mean, and I, I, I really feel the need to fix things. And I try to press in and come up with a solution. And you know what's really interesting, and I think it's funny, and I do this more than anyone, that when we come to the end of ourselves, when we don't have any other solution that we can come up with, that's usually when we say, in a very Christian way, you know what, we're just going to have to trust God. And I was thinking about that. It's like equivalently saying to God, well, all our first-round draft choices are hurt, and all the starters are injured, so we're going to get the water boy, and we're going to put him in. And we're just going to say, you can do it. And we're going to get the water boy to play. As if coming to the conclusion that we're just going to have to trust God is some miserable, undesirable conclusion. But isn't that the way it usually is? You know, we usually are popping a med, getting an MRI, talking to three of our friends, posting something, searching for it on WebMD, and then when we figure out it's bad, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to have to trust God. Why don't we start with that? 
Okay, why don't we just start with that? And so Joseph is different. Joseph is considering God. He's considering the God solution. And too often I think we, we rush to what I can do, and if I can't do it, then miserable me will have to put God in the game and hope he can play better than I can. And Joseph is in this place of, I'm willing to consider a solution other than me right up front. But the story about God in us is not only met with receptiveness and consideration. It also must be met with a response. When Jesus was older and he was teaching as an adult, there's this really epic parable that he talks about this idea of receptiveness and response. And he kind of uses biology to show us the difference between just being receptive or one, not being receptive, then this other idea of being receptive only, and then this idea of being receptive, and then this concept of response and, and how they all need to be part of this is the way the birth of Jesus took place. This is the way the kingdom of God is born into a person's life. So he told this parable. He says, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and they devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Another seed fell on, among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it, it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold times that which was, was sown in it. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, he's talking about this idea that it, there's, there's this place of not considering God, then there's this place of being receptive to God, and then there's this place of being receptive to God and responding to God. And that when we get to the place of responding to God, that's when the intentionality of God begins to grow into our lives. That's when we swing the door open. See, we think we have swung the door open by just kind of considering God. No, the door's still shut. We think we are opening the door to God because we believe in God. No, the door is still shut. See, the, the Christmas story doesn't, doesn't continue by Joseph getting wicked excited and running out to his local pub or coffee shop with a bunch of guys and saying, dude, I had this crazy dream last night. And God appeared to me in an angel and told me about this this stuff and, and this incredible plan. Wow, man, that's really cool. What are you going to do? Nothing. It's like, wow, is that what you heard in the dream? No, but I'm still going to do nothing. It was a really cool dream, and I'm open to God's big plan for my life. It's, it's awesome. The Christ child is going to be born to me, and I, and I you know, what are you going to do? Nothing. In the Christmas story, Joseph doesn't decide that everything that he heard was factual and true. You know, he's like, well, you know what, I gotta be honest with you, I checked it out, talked to Mary. She had the same visitation. God told her it was gonna happen. I looked in the Old Testament, found out Isaiah said this would happen out. It's all factual. Yeah, 
I got my facts straight. I got them all laid out and it's perfect. And uh, what are you going to do? Nothing. See, in the, we use this word skeptic. And I would label myself to a degree to be a skeptic. That means that I don't believe everything that somebody tells me and I will do whatever is necessary to get the information to be able to make an intelligent conclusion about the subject. But there's a difference between being a skeptic and skepticism. Skepticism is staying in a place where data is being fed to you, but you refuse to go any place with the data that you have. That you're constantly doing the same math over and over again. You're being provided the same information, but I just choose to get data, to get facts, to get the information, but I will never produce a response in my life. I will treat all the data and all the information as if they're equal, or they're all lies, or they're all true. But I will not make any distinctive response based upon the data. And it's just funny, in America, we think you're enlightened because I'm a skeptic. I believe in skepticism. Well, you know what? No, you don't. Because you don't leave your money on a table in public. You have no skepticism about that. You stop on red and you go on green. You have no skepticism about that. But when it comes to the issues of God, a lot of us get in this feedback loop, this kind of an algorithm, where we get stuck looking at data, looking at data, looking at data, never coming to a conclusion about it. I remember talking to a guy, you know, I was talking to him about evolution and like, kind of like, okay, what do you, what do you, why is this in your way? And, and then why is this in your way? And kind of move that out of the way and move that out of the way. And he kept on coming up with more stuff to try to get in the way. And, and it's like, okay, well, I, I can resolve that for you. And, and, and just constantly in this, in this loop of, of finding things or objections and, and, um, I'm like, well, multiverses, the M theory has really been kind of shot down. We're kind of a, we're a big bang cosmology and Einstein was right, though he hated it. It probably was no universe, then there was a universe and there's probably only one universe. And that is the running theory today, which all the data points to that that's the way it is. And so his point to me was, yeah, but in a hundred years they may find out that there are multiverses. And I said, dude, you won't be playing a hand a hundred years from now. You gotta work on the data you've got right now here today. Your grandsons or your great grandkids may have other data to work with, but right now, you know, you can't be skeptical based upon a discovery you hope or hypothetically think may take place in the future. And then the other thing is, well, maybe if it doesn't happen, maybe we are right about our current cosmology. And I think we do that not only as maybe skeptics, but I think we do it as Christians that we're all here and I think we all agree that the Christmas story is true. But has it produced something in us other than a six foot tree in our house and eggnog and rum, if you're into that? Has it produced anything? When, you know, yes, you're receptive to the idea that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but what does the data produce in you? And Joseph goes beyond just this moment and getting stuck in it. Joseph compliments his receptiveness with a response. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to realize, he woke from his sleep. There's a point when you're gathering data and considering, when your receptiveness, then there's a point when receptiveness and data gathering is done. You buy the car. You play the hand. You come to a conclusion. For Joseph to all of a sudden go back into consideration, or I need another dream, it says that he woke up. You got your facts, you got enough facts. Open the door, he's standing there, he's knocking. And I think some of us are stuck in the sleep of consideration. Consideration was a part of the process, but now, once the data is provided and you're satisfied with the data, now the response, opening the door is the next thing. You say, well, I'm not ready to do that. Well, then let me just tell you what. The, the birth of Jesus Christ went this way. The kingdom of God does not come into a person's life any other way. It doesn't come to you because you go to church. It doesn't come to you because your wife is a Christian. It doesn't come to you because I believe it. It comes to you as a result of your receptiveness to it, your consideration of it, and then moving into the area of response. Otherwise, the story does not go any further than that. I love Joseph's response. God, now that I've got my information, you want me to trust you? Okay, I will. God, you want me to do what, I, what you say? Okay, I will. He let God tell him how to respond to Mary from this point on. He let God define his future. And you say, well, how do you know that? It says, because when, Jesus, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And the reason why I'm telling you all this is that I can prove all day long that God loves you. I can tell you all day long about his kind intentions. I can experience the kind intentions of the Lord because I did my math and I'm playing my hand. And as a result of it, the kind of intentions of God walk through the door I've opened, but you may be sitting here today and you're like, God, I, I really want your best in my life. And God's like, you know what? You're stuck in a loop. You're, you're just looping around, looping around in this realm of skepticism. Of, skepticism is not intellectualism. Skepticism is the, it's like Velcro without the hooks. It's you got the furry side, but you no longer have the ability to grasp and hold on to something. Get your data, get your information, if there, is, if there is a better system of knowing and better fractal proof on this planet than what is provided in the Christian faith, grab a hold of it with all of your heart and then come and tell me about it because I would like to know about it. Otherwise, whether it's in nature, whether it's in history, or whether it's in the physics of the universe, the intentionality of God knocks at your door and says, open up and I will come in and we'll have relationship. And this is the way the story of God happens. 
You know, Mary's life is no different. Your life may be different than mine. The challenge that you have. I mean, Mary's going through her own set of problems. You know, she's about to have a child and she didn't know the father. I mean, I would have some concerns about that. I'd be like, okay, God, uh, how, how are you going to do this without male chromosomes? I mean, that's a good question. Second question she would ask is, by the way, God, what is a male chromosome? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things. She's got her challenges. Joseph had her challenges. But here's the thing. The fractal remained the same for both of them. They both had to consider, be receptive, and then respond. Your life is different than mine. Your challenges are different than mine. But the fractal is no different for you than it is for me. We've got to consider, be receptive, and we have to respond. And it doesn't happen. God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory doesn't happen without a response. And in Luke 1.26, we hear Mary articulate her response to God. After being told what was going to happen, she says to the angel, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I love that little phrase, and the angel departed from her. Because I think the angel got an answer so fast and so sure, he didn't need to carry on the conversation any longer. I mean, all of a sudden, he's like, listen, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to have his child. It's going to be born of the Spirit. And, you know, I would be kind of like, if I'm the angel, I'm, I'm ready for a couple questions to happen here. I get it, girl, you got some questions. All of a sudden, she says, um, okay, I got my facts. I see where it's happened. The prophet said it. You're telling me it's me. Okay, behold, here's my life. I will do what the, what the Lord has told me to do. I will trust God. And the angel's like, that's it? It's like, yeah. And the angel shows up back in heaven, and, and the, the father's, I don't know, like, dude, that was quick. What happened? She was respect, uh, receptive. And she responded. And when you're receptive and you respond, you don't have to say a lot. Things begin to happen. The kingdom of God begins to be birthed in your life and life begins to happen. You see, in order for you and I to have true intimacy with God, the birth of Jesus has to take place this way. Not only in history, but in every one of our lives. There is an agreement with the human soul and I don't know when it was made, but I guess in order to give it significance and meaning as autonomous beings, that God made an agreement with the human soul that I will walk up to it with all the intentions that I have biologically and universally and soteriologically in the plan of God. I will walk up to it, but I will stop at the door and I will knock. I will initiate the act of grace into a person's life by knocking and I will make noise on their doorstep but I will go no further. That in order for the story to go further on the birth of the kingdom in your life, you have to receive it and you have to respond to it. God, God's kindness and intentionality creates an invitation that requires your receptiveness, that requires your response. And it's true today. The birth of new life still takes place this way. So where are you at in the story?
Maybe you're here today and you hadn't considered it. And for you, the Christmas story starts with the idea that you're considering something that you might not have considered before. That maybe that your solutions are not the only solutions to the human problem or your problem as a human. And let me just say, if, if that's where you are, God loves it. It's like, that's awesome. I mean, this whole thing was laid out for you to consider Just consider the possibility that God has kind intentions towards your life. Maybe you've been in a place of receptiveness, but you are just constantly stuck in rethinking, 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 waiting for new data. It's like there's there's no new data. I mean, there really, there's no new data. It is, it's, it's embedded in history. It's embedded in our chromosomes. It's embedded in the galaxies that an intelligent mind created the universe and embedded in the human psyche and soul the ability to hear the knock of the divine and gave that psyche the power to reach a door handle and to open and to allow it to come in or to stand there obstinately and say, I will not yield to the facts of the universe. And for some of us, we've been stuck in this thing called skepticism. And we thought it was an enlightened and smart place, and it's not at all, because we can grab nothing. And maybe for you, you've received it, but now God says it's time for your response. Time for you to stop doing the math. The times table is not changing. It is what it is. You can look over it again. It is what it is. It's time to start putting this into practice in your life. Father, we come into this moment. You've brought the witness of the universe to bear, to present to us your kind intentions. And Lord God, even though the universe seems to be expanding into a nothingness, you draw a line with the human soul and you do not allow it to expand beyond the receptiveness of of the human will. Galaxies will spread and travel, but God, the human will, has the ability to say no further. So you stand at the door of each and every one of us and you knock, and you bear heaven and earth, and you present it to us, and you ask us to open. And if you'll open to me, I will come in and we will do life together. So, Father, we respond today. We ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that if our hearts are not even opened, that God, would you you just knock louder and let us hear and, and don't stop knocking. Let us hear the knock of grace upon our lives. God, today, no matter how broken and how messed up our lives are, we reach for the door and we open it up. We respond and we say, yes, Lord. We rise from our sleep and we do what the Lord has told us to do. So today, we do not only remember the Christmas story, but today we engage the way 
the child was born into our own lives. We thank you, God.